Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Well, Nicola, did you see me in the paper this week? I did, because you sent it to me. Oh, you don't read the paper anywhere? (laughs) No, you sent me, so then I look... Well, it's literally, literally my worst nightmare. Well, I thought it was very nice. I thought you looked lovely. No, but we haven't explained what it is yet. I know, but I'm just getting it out there first. I'm just giving you a little boost. Me in a miniskirt. It was fine. You've got nice legs, you're tall, you've got a nice figure, nothing wrong with it. And it's funny, I was trying on... They sent a, a, a lovely female photographer, a woman photographer, not just from female, and a female makeup artist... And so I put on the wreath dress you gave me, not for my birthday, because it's still birthday gate. I still haven't got my replacement gift. I'm just the workhorse. No, no, the wreath um, gi- dress was just a gift. It wasn't a birthday gift. But it was, you gave it to me and it was far too short. Why did you buy that dress in the first place? I liked it. But it's really tiny and it's really short. I wouldn't wear it. <laughs> I'm about a foot shorter than you. So, like, it wouldn't be tiny on me. So I put on this restress, which comes to about mid-thigh, which I would never wear out. And both of these women are going, this is what women do, you see, because they want you to look ridiculous. Both of them were going, oh, you could definitely wear that dress out. Oh, you've got the figure for it. No, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't. You have. Can I say it again? No, but you have. I haven't. You might not feel comfortable or choose to wear it, but you have. I haven't. It certainly looked better on you than it would on me, wouldn't it? Just because you're a size 8 doesn't mean you look good in a miniskirt. No, I'm sorry. If I was a size 8, I'd just wear anything. I'd be going Sainsbury's in a bikini. I'd be I'd be wearing, like, splits up to me, me hip bone. I'd do it, because I could. But anyway, in the copy, when I write about the miniskirt... I say that Nick gave me this restress, and I threw it at her. Yeah, she's she's got an ungrateful thing going on. It she didn't like the trousers, threw the dress at me. I mean, just ungrateful. And I said that if this was for a date with a new man, and we're going to talk about him in a little bit, I don't want on the first date for him to see my pants. No, but I didn't... That's not playing hard to get, is it? That's not getting to know how much he's got in his bank account. I don't want, on a first date, to cross my legs and him to glimpse Marks and Spencer. Depends how rich he is, doesn't it? It could work in your favour. <laughs> no, I've Googled his... I've Google-earthed his house. Can I just no. point out, it was a very respectable dress. It might be short on you because you're tall, but it was a very nice first date dress. It wasn't plunging or split. It anyway, was just a my nice dress. line in the copy, it was lots of different women saying how much they like the mini, and they've obviously gone insane. Uh, my line in the piece about the mini was used as the headline, and the line was. Da, da, da. Nicola? 
I can't remember. You can't that. remember. I can't remember that. It's I've got like having. It's like working with a goldfish. I've got, I've got a thyroid problem. I don't remember things lot longer than two minutes. The headline was: Think of the mini as if it was a nappy. You're supposed to grow out of it. If you've got it, the figure for it, just wear it. Why not? Why not? I don't want men looking at my pants. Well, there's a difference between a mini skirt. Remember, Nick, you're talking to someone very award-winning who used to walk around the floor of the Sunday Times, because it was all men, I was about the only woman, with the Times Atlas held up in front of me to stop them looking at me. That is me. Okay. And suddenly I'm in a national newspaper. I'm not Carrie Johnson, am I? I'm not supposed to be a public figure. But now you've all seen my knobbly knees. Well, They're almost as bad as Meghan Markle's. Well, to be fair, we've seen a lot more of you than that, ain't you? Do you know what I mean? You've have been... we? Yes, we have. You've been in a bikini with Mary Helvey. No, but the thing about the bikini was I was able to have it in my contract for that photograph that I was airbrushed tan beforehand, so a little man turned up at the Daily Mail with this cubicle and his airbrush gun, which made all the men on the news desk laugh. So I was airbrushed with a gun, a bit like George Michael had his abs airbrushed yeah. for Club Tropicana video. Oh, I think that's fine. <laughs> and then it was digitally airbrushed and I was stretched a little bit. But well, none of this happened in my front room when they came to photograph me yesterday. The only thing that was in front of me wasn't the Times Atlas. It was three collies because they kept photobombing. Well, all I can say is, is I'm still going to complain about the one photo shoot I've had to do. I wasn't airbrushed and I wasn't stretched. And that blouse was awful. I looked like a 1940s housewife that <laughs> ate too many pies. I really wanted, I really needed stretching. I really did. But the mini's fine. As long as it's not a glorified belt, the mini's fine. But it was I mean? funny, the headline was, as well as being about the nappy, it was Liz Jones and Minnie, and Minnie thought it was about her, Minnie well, Puppy. That's because Minnie's got a little thing, isn't she? The camera comes out and she poses. Minnie's very photogenic. No, as soon as the photographer turns up, Minnie just poses. She gets into position. So I had three collies around me trying to hide my knees. <sighs> I've got awful knees. I've got, it's genetic, it is. There's nothing I can do about it. All the women in my family have got the same knees. But your awful knees isn't as bad as, as... It's all relative, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? No. And actually, the pose in the paper, please don't look at it. And please stop Googling. I wish my readers would stop Googling. You know you said that. Please don't look at it. You know now everybody's going to Google it. So what have you been up to this week, Nick? Anything? Well, I've been working on your audio book... Not that much. Um, to get that live. So watch this space. That should be live very, very shortly. And I've been reading in my nights, looking after Charlie, I've been reading The Spirit Engineer by AJ West, which is published today. He's not a ballroom dancer, is he? No. He's very handsome, though. He could be. I should imagine he'd look quite nice in the, in the get-up. He was in Big Brother. That's not really a recommendation for being a writer, unless it's me. <laughs> Nowadays, it's to make you an instant celebrity. So, it's yeah, it's a good book. It's, it's a book that's set in 19... It starts in 1914 and ends in 1920. And it's set in Ireland, and it's two years after the Titanic sank. And what's nice about this book is it's, there's lots of historical references. So Is it, it about the Titanic? It's not about the Titanic, but it's referenced and, you know, you get a really good idea of, of what's going on in the area. And it's very descriptive without superfluous 
detail without all the unwelcome detail he's he he's a very good writer in that he paints a picture of scenes and characters without a lot of empty words do you want so to I go really, and work for him i really liked that no i don't think he's famous enough at the moment oh. but if he makes a lot of money then again i'm open to offers so at the moment it's still briny uh, well darren brown i was willing to take a pay cut for but yeah briny you know whoever pays the most i'm, I'm not fussy and basically, he's a, a university professor, and he's a sceptic, and there's some... I won't go... I won't spoil it for anyone who wants to read it, because it's a very good book. But the, he has some tragic stuff going on in his own life, and some bereavement. Is he made bankrupt? And he's not made bankrupt, but he's, he's, he's pretty much on the poverty line at the beginning. And... Um, so he starts, his wife starts to see a psychic and a medium um, to try and get in touch with a family that's died. And he's very sceptical, not happy about but it But this at is all. a true story. This is a true story. This is based on true story, true characters. And actually the author's got quite a lot of information on his website about it and interviews from the descendants of the, the original characters. Is he stuff. descended from the characters? No, he's not. He just he was just very interested in the story, so he decided to write a novel based around it. So basically, um, it's it's about a man that's sort of investigating this medium and how it changes his character and there's there's it there's a lot of ego in it, there's a lot of ambition in it and it gets quite nasty. It's really interesting. It's a really good book. And, of course, I love true stories. I love the fact that it's sort of based in reality and, and that. It's a really good book. It's I wouldn't say it's a scary book or a spooky book, which I love, which uh, is what I was expecting. But it's a real sort of investigation into not only his investigation into what's going on, and there's characters like Houdini in it that he he knew at the time so that makes it quite interesting but also into how the characters develop and how it changes him and he gets money and he gets position and how that changes him and the dynamics in his family and it's a real twist at the end which i wasn't expecting um so yeah i, I really liked the book but if you were a psychic you would expect it if I was a psychic, I would expect it, but there's there's some great lines in it. You're reading it, and there's some great lines in it. Really dry. It's quite dry. It's quite witty, and he comes out with stuff, and you actually are reading it, and you stop, and you go, oh, that was a great line. I really liked that. That was a really good line. You actually do stop and take the time for that. It's quite formal, quite old-fashioned, um, so it sets the scene really well. I think I think you quite like it. What's the scariest book you've ever read? Um, scariest book. I like the Peter James books. Um, he's done some really good supernatural books. Peter um, James. Peter James. Peter James. Yeah, he's done some really good supernatural books. Um, really good twists, really good plots. I really like him. Shall I tell you the scariest book I've ever read? Go on. It's by Richard Adams. And as a child, I read Richard Adams because obviously he won't watership down that absolutely traumatised me Hazel Five. I've never read it I've never read that I've never watched Bambi I can't watch anything where there's any potential but watership down I would say this is how this is why art is important watership down and watching the cartoon of Animal Farm by George Orwell on the telly when I must have been about I know five absolutely awakened me to animal rights yeah. And Watership Down did. Yeah. I was, you know, I had a rabbit. 
I was she was rescued from a meat farm. And I don't think I was the right sort of person to have a pet. Because as you know, Nick, I'm very OCD. And because the rabbit was in a cage, and even though I was about six and she was wrecked from a meat farm, I knew she shouldn't be in a cage. So I kept letting her out in the garden and then I took over the garage so my dad was never able to park his car to give her a bit more space. And I made, try and made the garden secure and then I put notices on all the doors of the house, don't let the dog out, don't let the dog out. Yeah, yeah. So I think Richard Adams, he absolutely turned me on to animal rights. But he also wrote the scariest book in the world. Oh, okay. And it's called The Girl in a Swing. Oh, I've not read that. And it came out in 1980. I and love he's, scary books. he's an expert in ceramics. So he runs a shop and he sells ceramics. Oh. So there's so much detail in there about that. And he marries a very unsuitable younger woman. And it's so scary. I oh, See, I love scary. I love supernatural stuff. I love anything like that at all. I love thrillers. I love anything. I'm not really the rom-com type at all. So I'll definitely try that. I kind of hope that there isn't an afterlife, really, because I'm quite looking forward to a rest. Well, the afterlife's meant to be sort of pleasant, isn't it? It's meant to be nice. Well, so was this life, and it it's is. not been great so far. It is. Well, it is, isn't it? You've had success, you've got your no, animals. I haven't. No, and actually, Nick, because you keep saying that, the archive, which is coming up towards the end of this podcast, which means you can't go off and have a bowl of cornflakes, is all about the fact I haven't had success. So there you go. But how do you define success? Peace of mind, getting up in the morning and not being worried. Okay, well, you've had career success. And no, you, I haven't. You, how can you say that? Well, I've got a whole column that's okay. going to tell you how, so okay. stop it. Don't, okay. don't vivisection my archive. But you started the conversation. I'm no, just I'm engaging. just saying it's coming soon. It's not coming now. <laughs> okay. Do you want to hear about this week's column? Go on. This week's column, really, it sort of sounds... Like a swan song, it sort of sounds like this is the last column ever, and I bet lots of people are cheering. <laughs> All my rivals, future, future boyfriends, ex-boyfriends, they're all cheering. Oh, they're too busy Googling you in a miniskirt. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, this was sparked, and we talked about it the other week, by me getting terrible, terrible tweets saying, I killed Amy Winehouse. Yeah, that was Wasn't a bit it? harsh. That was a bit harsh. When actually it was just a headline, you know, I'd written about how no one helped her and everyone wanted to use her as a cash cow and no one actually helped her and she'd be dead when she was 25. And I sort of defended myself when people said I'd killed Amy Winehouse, but I said, well, actually, her first album was entirely about her own life. It was entirely about her ex-boyfriend. And you know how Adele has got new music coming out now. I'm very excited about that. And she has written songs about breakups. Oh, best breakup songs. Someone best like breakup. you, you know. And obviously yeah. her ex-boyfriends are quite cross because they want a slice of the mansion and, you know, all her awards and her Grammys. And, and say they're cross, she's rich. But it does cause problems, as you know, Nicola. As we all know. So this is from the column, really. I'll talk a bit about why I'm writing it and... Amy Winehouse and I say as a columnist it's a conundrum the defence when writing about others critically boyfriends, husbands, family members, celebrities is that it's true 
And if they don't want to be written doing about doing bad things, they shouldn't do bad things. They shouldn't cheat on you or call you the C word twice, once by text, or get an ecstasy tablet out of their wallet in front of your boss at dinner in Soho. That wasn't good. Or demand to be reimbursed for 25 book on bond conversions when you've just bought them a house. Men shouldn't date a columnist if they're going to be precious and wine. They must know that for any writer these days, not men so much, but most writers, the personal always seeps into the copy. And if it doesn't, if you remain invisible and detached and spare anyone close from having their gory details exposed, you are shortchanging the reader and are, to be frank, boring. Another writer got eviscerated after that Amy documentary, an award-winning, so it's not just me, an award-winning interviewer who had played paparazzi for the day, chasing Amy down the street. She once wrote a moving memoir about losing the father of her children. He drowned on holiday. And she's written about her own breast cancer. So should she not have written about her partner's death, her illness, or Amy? Of course she should. Such writing isn't just about selling papers, or in Amy's case, records, or in Adele's case, records, and in my case, newspapers. It's about making others feel less alone. It's about them being able to realise, ah, so life isn't all about renovating Georgian houses and what shoes you wore for your perfect wedding and which farrow and ball hue to choose and children frolicking in heritage orchards. Sometimes life is horrible and embarrassing. I've been messaging back and forth with the vegetarian photographer who asked me out. And I'll tell you what's happened since then. He's been sweet, funny and intelligent. Not patronising or competitive, like some people we could mention. Not lewd, but flirty. Mm. It's been fun. I've had something to look forward to. But my ex-husband's piece in the Telegraph shook me. And my ex is hurt, the last one though largely his own fault due to his unwillingness to change and learn to floss, is palpable. And so I've decided to cancel my date with the photographer. He doesn't deserve what will inevitably happen in this column. I will make some excuse, say I've been told not to drive due to my vertigo, and someone went on Twitter and said they were reporting me to the police for having vertigo. Thanks! I'd love some privacy, and therefore I can't make the date. But if he offers to drive to see me, then what? If I say, oh, you won't enjoy being written about, he will say what they all say at the beginning. They do, they do. When I first met my future husband, he said, I quite like my high-profile naughtiness. Well, that wore off, didn't it? Yeah. Apparently, I'm now Harvey Weinstein. The ex who asked me to stop writing about him, said, publish and be damned. But when they do inevitably behave badly and text me the C word, then it's my job to tell you anything else would be dishonest. You deserve the highs and the frequent crashing lows because your lives are like that. You don't live in a fictional world of happy families and nice shoes and orchards and neither, sadly, do I. The thing is, is with your... That struck you, you dumb, didn't it? No, I was just thinking. I was, I was thinking before I speak, <laughs> for once. Um, I think the trouble is, is what you do 
has consequences. It has consequences for you because you write about your personal life, so it has consequences for you. I think it's hard for people to divorce your your job from you having um, a personal life in terms of they feel they can comment on your personal life because your personal life is what you use for your job. Only part of my job. Yeah, a part of your job uh, for your column. Um, but it also has consequences for the people you write about. So, to be fair, you didn't like it when Nurple wrote about you. They probably don't like it when you write about them. And I know. We... Yeah, but I think the difference there is that I always warn people if they come into my orbit, they're going to be written about. I was already a columnist when yeah. Nurple asked me out and when the last one asked me out. And I always do warn them. And actually, everything I've written about the ex actually happened. Whereas what Nurple wrote about me wasn't true. I didn't parade him as a trophy because he was 21 stone. But that was his ego, wasn't it? That was his ego writing. That was all about him and about his, him being a virile toy boy. I mean, there was no nothing damning about him at all. But just just in terms of, it probably just doesn't feel very nice, if, if you know what I mean, from their point of view as well. However... No, the reason it doesn't feel very nice is because I was so nice to him. Yeah. Funny, accommodating, didn't demand anything, gave him a lovely home, helped his career. I felt I didn't deserve that. No. But when someone asked me for 25 quid for a barn book... That's ridiculous. I am going to write because they deserve it. I yeah. feel I didn't deserve that piece by Nerfle. I didn't because I couldn't have been nicer and more tolerant. The thing is, is, is when you're in this position and when people get involved with you, their accountability is going to become public. So if they do behave in a good way, you'll write about that. If they behave badly, you'll write about yeah. that. But it makes them publicly accountable, which is never going to be comfortable for anybody. Because when you're an arse, it's better if it's private, isn't it? And, and, and everyone's not judging you. Let's face yeah, but it. Then, but then you wouldn't have... Books, you wouldn't have no. Bridget Jones if Helen Fielding hadn't written about herself and her friends. No. I mean, Shazza was Sharon Maguire. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. real. Yeah. You wouldn't have art. You wouldn't have Adele's albums. You wouldn't have Yesterday by Paul McCartney, which was about Jane Asher. Do you, do you see what I mean? Yeah. You wouldn't have art if it didn't draw on relationships. Look at Picasso. You wouldn't have paintings of women if he wasn't shagging some French bird yeah. and painting her and she got cross because he painted her because she was too fat. Well, sorry, don't date Picasso. No, and that's exactly That's going to be the heading of, on my Twitter don't profile and everything. Don't, don't date Picasso. Oh, God. So how are you going to go forward then? Right, so I... What's the plan? I WhatsApped the vegetarian photographer and I said I can't make the drink because we were going to meet in Leeds because that was halfway I can't make the drink in Leeds because I still don't know why I'm, I'm getting dizzy spells it's a long drive Nick can't drive me because she's got a sick dog I can't make it I'm really yeah. sorry and I'll text you at the weekend so then and she gets her phone out to look at his whatsapp messages he said well how about I drive to you oh well, that's nice of him no, but we don't want this, do we? No, we don't, but that's still nice of him. So I said, oh, well, uh, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> oh, dear, poor man, read the room, read the room. And then I was sort of trying to think, well, he'll read the column this Sunday, probably, because they all do, and see, actually, I won't enjoy being written about. And that's the reason she's backing off, because it's very unfair to do that to someone. 
Yeah, but you can't not ever have a relationship again in your life because you don't want to write about them. There's, there's got to be some balance here. With you yeah, but I life. can't... I, do, I just don't think it's right. If you're high profile and you get divorced, you don't write about the nitty-gritty and what, why you got divorced and they didn't brush your tongue. You've got... Or don't have a job. Do you see what I mean? But you never. Anyway, he then he then sent me a text which made me think I'm just going to not bother saying oh well you know I'm an artist and you can't be in my art. I'm sorry, vegetarian photographer, you can't be Jane Asher. Um, right. He then sent a text. I'm looking forward to meeting you, you know, and discarding your Myla thong. Oh my! See, they always have to do it, don't they? They always have to. See, I wouldn't. Why do you have to spoil it? It's like at the end of the day, Grace has been good all day, and she's not done anything naughty. And we get home, and she chooses a cushion, and I say, Grace, you've been good all day. Why did you have to spoil it? Why? Why did he have to mention my underwear? And this is when they are so busy reading you that they're not actually reading who you are. Do you know what I mean? And they become inappropriate. Absolutely inappropriate. But why would a man discuss your underwear when you haven't even met them? Or seen a picture of him. I mean, that's brave enough. I mean, the only thing in his favour is he's not a police officer. But do they all do it? Whatever walk of life, they're texting a woman and they've never met and they start talking about your thong. I can talk about my own thong, but I wouldn't text him and talk about... His underwear. It's just, it's just in a... We haven't even seen him. You don't know what he looks like. God help us. You can read this week's diary in full on Man on Sunday's You magazine. So you know you were talking just now about success. Yeah. And saying, oh, well, you're successful in your career. Well, you are. You are. You're award-winning, remember. But I've got a column here from... It was on the op-ed pages of the Man on Sunday. It's from March 2016. Will everyone know what op-ed is? Opposite the editorial. Right, you see. You can't just use technical terms. People won't know what you're talking about. Well, readers have learnt furniture. That's the heading in the stand first and the captions. That's the furniture of the piece. File copy. File copy. The word deadline, Nick doesn't really understand that one yet, but we're trying. Ah. So this is from 2016. This came out. The reason I wrote this was that J.K. Rowling was talking about rejection, how she wasn't successful, because she then started writing anonymously as a man, and she got rejected by publishers thinking she needs to go and learn how to write. And she's probably the richest writer ever in the entire history of the world. In your face, publishers. So we all know that J.K. Rowling's first Harry Potter book was rejected by 12 publishing houses. But on Friday, she revealed a more recent smarting. When writing under the pen name Robert Galbraith, she received letters suggesting she enrol on a writing course and pop into a bookshop for a guide to becoming a novelist. Marvellous. J.K. Rowling published the rejection letters on Twitter, not for revenge, but for inspiration. I think it is it is inspiring, actually, to know there's that 10,000 hours thing, isn't it? To be very good at something, you have to have spent at least 10,000 hours. And yeah. I always laugh at people who are always saying it to me, oh, I'm going to write a novel, I want to become a feature writer. How, you know, how, how would I do it? Well, do you write every single day? 
And they say, well, no, I've never. You have to. It's like it's like yeah. I'm a violinist. I'm not only Picasso. I'm a, I'm David, whatever his name is. <laughs> David <laughs> Garrett. I went to interview David Garrett in Milan or something, some foreign country, and he told me that to be a famous violinist, he practices six, seven hours a day. So do you write every day? And if you don't, no, you're not a writer. And you're never going to be a writer. I think some you're never, people... You're never going to be Paul McCartney or, or Picasso. <laughs> or me. Or you. Or you, indeed. But I think some people don't... I think it was very brave of J.K. Rowling, actually, because some people, like, you get a lot of letters from people saying that they're, they're trying to publish and they find it very difficult. And they assume that someone like you or J.K. finds it easy, but actually it's not no, easy to get published no. whoever And I are. think the only route to success, really is not giving up. And so I wrote in this column, as someone who's been serially rejected all my life, I found her honesty heartening. I think or hope that rejection makes you better and stronger. If you give up at the first or the tenth hurdle, you don't deserve success. My first rejection arrived annually from the age of five until my teens. I never won the W.H. Smith Winner Pony short story competition and I entered every single year. But you kept trying. I had to get my own pony. Every rejection is a lesson to be learned. While I was doing my A-levels, I applied to work at Vogue and I even got an interview. I was rejected. The letter from the editor's PA, and I still remember her name... Ingrid suggested my best chance would be to enter the Vogue talent contest. I was so enraged, I wrote back and complained. Can you imagine anyone saying, well, like, you can't have a job, and I wrote back and complained? No, I completely believe it of you. I completely believe it. So I wrote to Ingrid, why didn't you suggest that in the first place? I've just enrolled to do media studies at the Elephant and Bleeding Castle. She never replied. I hope she was sacked. <laughs> I hope her editor said, well, that Ingrid, that was a big mistake, wasn't it, Ingrid? <laughs> Go and work in boots. Maybe she is. Maybe she's stacking shelves, bless her. Newly qualified, I applied to Harpers and Queen. I mistakenly addressed the editor as Mrs. when, in fact, it was a man. <laughs> See, it wouldn't matter now. And then I kept the letter, right? He wrote back to me and he wrote in purple ink. So he was really nearly a woman. What, purple ink? Yeah, it's a bit feminine, isn't it? I wouldn't use purple ink. (laughs) He said, I would never succeed in journalism if, and I quote, I couldn't get basic facts right. (laughs) Wow, they're harsh. I was sacked as editor of Marie Claire. And I applied to be editor of Elle magazine. Fantastic. I could make it better than Marie Claire. Be fantastic. I produced a mock cover. I put Joss Stone on my imaginary cover. I'm sure she's still very cross it never came out. Great personal expense. I got someone to design all the cover lines. I got it printed. I wrote all the copy. I had an index of all these features I was going to do. I didn't get the job, which went to Lorraine Candy, another rival. She's not bitter, not bitter at all. And in the letter, which I've also kept, I was told I was too high street. (laughs) That's like the worst thing anyone could say to you. I was too high street. Oh, next. I've never been in boots, well, only once. 
Oh, God. That is the perfect insult for you, though. I'll, I'll respect. Full respect to them. I wrote the first few chapters of a novel about Emily Wilding Davison, the suffragette who threw herself under the King's horse at Epsom. I sent it to Johnny Geller at Curtis Brown. He's the most famous agent in the world. And he wrote back, and I've still got that letter, great idea, poor execution. <laughs> I wrote a biography of Prince, and I thought at first it was getting good reviews because a reviewer in The Observer, a man, reviewed it, and he called it a hagiography, and I thought that's great. And then I found out what hagiography meant. OK, it doesn't sound like a compliment. Well, it's a very fawning biography, not admitting he had any flaws. Well, Prince didn't have any flaws, I was going to say, you actually genuinely think that anyway. <laughs> anyway, my book was described by Cheryl Garrett in the Sunday Times. She said it was poor and that I muddled. Right. But you're still here. And you're saying I'm successful. But you're still here. <laughs> I kept getting back on my feet for yet more punishment, which continues to this day, apart from my award. A year or so ago, I applied for the job as fashion editor of a broadsheet. I didn't get it, but I've become more Gigi Hadid about criticism of late. The supermodel last week responded angrily on Twitter to a follower who said, practice how to walk properly, Gigi, instead of having a new boyfriend every two weeks. She replied, I've dated three guys in three years, hun. My walk can get better. I hope the unrelated bitterness in your heart can too. Whoa. And I, I'm very angry when talentless people get fantastic jobs, and I get so angry. She does, um, really angry. I read a piece in a, in a very highbrow paper, and I was so angry about it, I wrote to the paper's deputy editor... <laughs> And I attach her piece on Alexander McQueen when he died. Rubbish. And I sent him my piece on Alexander McQueen when he died. Fantastic. I remember that. I actually remember that. Her piece yeah. got one comment online. Does anyone care about this rubbish? I got 6,000 shares for writing about the man as he actually was. Again, the deputy editor of that paper never gave me a reply. I actually wrote about his failings, Alexander McQueen. Just because someone's died doesn't make them suddenly the nicest person in the world. So my piece was much more inside and much more inside. I even talked about how he treated his dogs. And I was saying this, I was sitting in Claridge's, and I was saying this to Cheryl, who's also becoming quite famous, isn't she, Cheryl? She is. And your new BFF. And I was saying to her about Isabella Blow, who died. And when Isabella Blow died, everyone was like, oh, she was fantastic and she did this and she did that and she was so amazing. So I was sitting there telling Cheryl stories about Isabella Blow, who used to work as fashion director on the Sunday Times. And I wrote about how she made Emma, her little assistant, walk her to the tube because she feared she was going to get attacked for wearing fur. And she went to Russia, Isabella, to do a shoot. Huge expense. When the photographs came back, she could have shot them in Croydon. You had no idea she was in Russia. She was just in a room with a wall. And she put a swastika on a costume, which was our cover, and none of us noticed, and we all got into trouble. Oh, dear. So, you see, other people thwart me and they write bad pieces. I actually write to their editors and tell them what was wrong with their piece. <laughs> 
You do. Very loud and clear, you do. I even got rejected on my wedding day. My husband disappeared when it was time for bed, and when I woke up the next morning, he was already downstairs having breakfast with his friends. He didn't even leave me a note, and when I got to the dining room, and he was sitting there on the bench with his friends, and I'm the bride, remember, paying for all this, not one of them budged up so I could sit down. Rude. I wonder how many people actually have, like, a good wedding night, like, consummate the marriage, because... No, you're too tired. No, you're too tired, mm. you're probably too drunk, and to be fair, it's not like your virgins on the wedding night, it's not like it's a novelty, is it? You're probably way past it by the time you get married now. But the worst thing about my wedding day was I was having the manicure, and the manicurist cut my cuticle, so I started bleeding everywhere. So I couldn't have had sex that night, because the whole night, I was holding my finger up. Right. When my brother died far too young, my brother Nick, the only thing he bequeathed to me was his unpublished, handwritten novel and a pile of rejection letters. So he really, really, really wanted to be a writer. Oh, bless him. He gave up. He became a recluse and he died penniless. I'm currently typing it up, editing it and sending it out. Like J.K. Rowling, I refuse to take no for an answer. What do you think of that? Well, it's... <laughs> that was shortlisted, that column. But you're still here, aren't you? But can you, you imagine anyone here. else? They've read a piece by Alexander McQueen by someone who got the job instead of them, not Lorraine, someone else. And they send the editor her piece and my piece to get him to compare them. But that's them. so you, isn't it? That's so you. And they never replied. That's Because so... <laughs> you just have got no... It's funny because you lack confidence in a lot of ways, but then you'll go, look at this piece and look at my piece. My piece is great and that's rubbish. Yeah. So you've got a lot of professional confidence. No, I'm not, lot, I'm not good at lots of things. I can't do figure skating. I can't cook. I can't, but I, I can just do one thing. Yeah. If they want 1,500 words on yeah. Alexander McQueen's just dropped down dead, I'll do it and yeah. I'll do it better than anyone else. Yeah. And like when Margaret Thatcher died... I was on the M1 in the car on the way to London. And I'm like, well, she could have either died two hours sooner or two hours later. I had to pull off the motorway and write about Mrs. Thatcher's life enclosed in a motorway service station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We are hugely competitive, aren't you, as well? Only when it comes to writing. I I mean, I'm not a competitive swimmer. No. But, I mean, you look (laughs) at what other people are doing and you're really competitive about it. She's very bitter and twisted (laughs) quite a lot about it. Ingrid, Ingrid. <laughs> but the thing is, you, you're right, though. A lot of writers do write about how someone dies and how wonderful they are and everything. But actually, they might be a wonderful talent and they may, may they may be fantastic at what they do. It doesn't mean they're a nice person. That's, no. You need to divorce. You've hit the nail on the head, Nick. That's what made Alexander McQueen a great designer. He had turmoil in his life. He was very conflicted. And those people are very difficult to live with. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Yves Saint Laurent, you know, or if you look at any sort of... I'm sure Adele's difficult, you know. I think people of an artistic nature are often quite difficult because they have an edge, don't they? They've got a competitiveness, they've got an edge. You know, and the, they're not the main, back, generally, The main premise of this, of these two columns, really, is your copy comes first. 
I don't particularly want people to like me. I'm sure people were very upset about me writing about Alex Marlborough, McQueen, or Isabella Blow, or an ex-boyfriend or something. But we're not writing, particularly newspapers, we're not writing fantasy. This is why I talked about Farrow and Ball. I'm sick of all these pieces in the newspapers. Like, oh, and she got tired of London and she moved to a manor house in Oxfordshire and then she transformed in it. Oh, bugger off. It's all right. Life isn't like that. Life isn't like that. No, it's, it's a complete not. lie. Sadly, it's not. Although I suppose some people might, might have a nice life. Some people might be blissfully happy and... Have a lovely life. But all those lifestyle features saying, oh, and she just puts lots of lovely pots there and she renovated it herself. I oh, like hell she did. I hate them. <laughs> and then that bloody woman in Oxfordshire, who I'm going on about, had all these pieces about her lovely Oxford home and how she loved it. And she just sold it and moved back to London. Yeah, well... <laughs> it can't have been that nice. <laughs> she, tried, she was living the dream. But oh, we've got a new weekly slot this week. We have, we have, which I, which I realised this morning. That's because you didn't read it last night. I, did. <laughs> I skimmed it. Nick and I each week are going to tell you something that made us laugh this week. And mine, I actually did, because I am quite incontinent, I actually did wet myself. And I've had to take my mattress topper to the laundry. <laughs> oh, God. What makes a change from Gracie, I suppose? I told the woman in the laundry, who's very nice, she knows me really well, and she's got a parrot. And um, I didn't tell her it was human, I said it was Gracie. But you did warn her it was wee. I so said she it's wee wee, and she said, Gracie or Gracie? Yes, I said. <laughs> Gracie or you? I didn't say. <laughs> it was because I looked at my ex-husband's Twitter account and he has 95 followers. <laughs> da -da, that is fantastic. Yes. I wonder if he lost a few after his, after his little <laughs> pile on, if he lost yeah, some. Yeah, he's now got seven. <laughs> so unfollow him. So sorry to interrupt, Liz, but we have a very important announcement that might just interest your listeners. There's another Mail on Sunday podcast and it could change your life. It's called Medical Minefield. Yes, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. And that's with me, Barney Kalman, the Mail on Sunday's health editor. And me, Eve Simmons, the deputy health editor. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. Lots of you get in touch telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. Right, do you want to know what the readers are saying? Yes. We have Leslie, and she says, Dear Nick, listening to the podcast every Sunday, I've come to the assumption that you like to read. I've written several books and I'm struggling to get an agent to represent me. So we were talking about this earlier, weren't we? You struggle as well. It's, it, everyone struggles. Um, and she would like my opinion on whether the book's any good. So she sent me a book to read. So if That's quite awkward, though, isn't it? Because I get that as well. And if you don't like it, it's wrong to encourage someone... 
to do something if you don't think it's right. No, I'd be, I'd be honest. You'd I'd be, be honest. I'd be, I'd be really honest because I think, but in a nice way, you can be constructively honest, can't you? You can. Yeah, s- like write it again, do something different. Well, I suppose. Yeah, that's your version of constructively honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably a little bit more fluffy, constructively honest. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. But I'm, I'm going to read that and then give her a little review on here so my book review one day will be on here about her because i think that's nice to give someone a little boost that yeah but will, will, it. will your review say poor and muddled no no <laughs> so we've also instead of letters this week i went on to your column and last week's column um the in which i give a new man a chance to look at the comments. So, yes, because I wanted to see what the readers were saying about that because I wanted to know if they were having the same reaction as me. And Landlubber321 had exactly the same reaction as me and says, I saw the headline and immediately thought, oh no. What was the headline? In which I give a new man a chance. <laughs> but then on the other hand, Nick, you say, well, you can't not date for the rest of your life. No, but it was like... It's going to be a disaster, isn't it? I think we're expecting a disaster, to be honest. I think, uh, you know, it'd be lovely if it wasn't, but I think there's that little expectation of, oh, dear God, here we go again, you know, that men are just awful. Well, we've nipped him in the bud, haven't we? He's been, yeah, well, certainly after the thong thing. And we've also got John, JM, who had a little bit of advice for you. And he says, no man, and I speak on behalf of all straight men over 50... Well, notice whether you wear Victoria Beckham or Primark. We wouldn't know Louboutin from Dr Martins, nor would we care. Thongs are wrong, always. Clean and casual does the job. So you've got some advice from a man. Clean and casual. Okay, so instead of bringing out Vogue or wanting to work for Vogue, I'm going to bring out a magazine called Clean and Casual. I think that's good. I think it'll take off. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.